Holy God, the scriptures tell us that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but your word endures forever. May this enduring word be a fresh word to us today, that we may live with your guidance and grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today, in our second Sunday in this sermon series on the Lord's Prayer, we hear from the Gospel of Matthew when Jesus teaches this prayer to his disciples. This is Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 through 13, and Jesus is speaking. When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the 1930s, in the midst of the Great Depression, a young couple looking for a beautiful and affordable home put a challenge to the architect Frank Lloyd Wright. Could he build them a nice home for around $5,000? That's about $85,000 in today's money. Wright's response was this, I've been waiting for years for someone to ask me that question. Frank Lloyd Wright relished this challenge of building an affordable, beautiful custom home because he had a vision to make custom homes more democratic, more available to people in every price range, including middle and working class Americans. He even had a name for this vision. He called it Usonia. And it was more than just a custom home. It was a vision of a utopian America. Usonia, in Wright's vision, would be a place filled with modest, comfortable, well-made, affordable homes. They would be made of natural, local materials, and like so much of Wright's architecture, they would exist harmoniously with the landscape, designed to enable people to encounter the beauty of the natural world in their everyday lives. Wright's vision was grounded in his firm belief that the buildings we live in shape the people we are. With the words of this prayer we call the Lord's Prayer, Jesus acts as a kind of architect, constructing a vision of who God is, who we are, and what the world we are building together can be. It begins with the words we talked about last week, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. With these words, we learn and affirm that all humanity is worthy to address God as Abba, Father, 
to name God who loves us and knows us and is as near to us as the air we breathe. The very next thing Jesus tells us to pray is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Having figured out that God is both our intimate and holy other creator, Jesus instructs us to pray that God's kingdom and God's will would be realized amid the chaos and challenges and injustice of everyday human life. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, with these words, Jesus introduces two very complicated theological concepts, God's kingdom and God's will. There are concepts that are inextricably linked. We might think of God's kingdom as the place where all things unfold according to God's will, which is God's desire for love, mercy, and justice to reign throughout creation. Eugene Peterson, a Presbyterian minister and Greek and Hebrew scholar, has a different translation of the Lord's Prayer in his Bible called The Message, and I think it helps us to hear this particular request anew. This is how Peterson puts it, set the world right, do what's best, as above, so below. Set the world right. In this prayer, we find ourselves begging God to make our world look more like that place where God's ways rule. Just as Frank Lloyd Wright knew that the buildings we live in shape us, Jesus knew that our prayers shape the people we are, just as they shape our world and our churches. And so he tells us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. In directing us to pray for God's will, for what God desires to come to earth, Jesus offers us a compelling vision. Even as he highlights the great divide between the reality of God's realm and the reality of life on earth. As we all discover again and again, the world we live in and the promised kingdom of God often seem impossibly distant from each other. And so we pray, set the world right, as above, so below. Sadly, Frank Lloyd Wright's Usonian vision was never fully realized other than just a handful of homes. After the Depression, he moved on to bigger projects, but the influence of his Usonian dream can still be seen in the long, low-to-the-ground architecture of the many suburban ranch homes built in the 1940s. The difference was they didn't incorporate the kind of natural materials or landscape the way that Wright imagined. All we have to do is to read the stories of Jesus' life in the Gospels to catch a glimpse of what the kingdom of God looks like. Jesus shows us a place where all people are treated as God's beloved children, a place of acceptance, especially for those cast aside a place of healing for the broken and hurting, 
a place where all are welcome and made whole. But like Eusonia, the vision Jesus offers us of God's kingdom come to earth has yet to be fully realized, which is why he tells us to pray. The day after the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., Jane Elliott, a third grade teacher at the time in Iowa, watched her students come into the classroom looking confused and upset. They had been taught that Dr. King was a hero, so they couldn't understand why someone would murder him. Knowing that experience is the best teacher, Elliot decided to conduct an experiment, and she divided her students into two groups based on eye color. The first day, the blue-eyed kids were treated as superior, getting extra recess time and food at lunch and kindness from their teacher. At the same time, Elliot peppered her speech with derogatory comments about the brown-eyed kids and their forgetfulness and laziness and all-around lack of ability. Within hours of this, not only were the brown-eyed kids acting thoroughly demoralized, but the blue-eyed kids were carrying themselves as though they were superior to their brown-eyed peers. And not surprisingly, when it came to the classwork that day, the blue-eyed kids performed markedly better. The next day, Elliot reversed the experiment and favored the brown-eyed kids. After these two days, she led the class in a conversation about what that had been like. What she heard was that creating such a stark contrast between who is favored and who is not, who is in and who is out, left everyone feeling lousy. The kids spoke about their feelings of confusion and powerlessness and how it made it difficult to focus on their schoolwork. They also observed that when they were part of the so-called superior group, the way they treated those deemed inferior left them feeling uncomfortable and guilty. Most human kingdoms are set up to enact an idea that one person or group of people has special power or privilege, even, in some cases, a unique connection to the divine, often simply by virtue of arbitrary designations, the family they were born into, the place where they were born, the caste in some countries they were born into. But God's kingdom is founded on the paradox that every human being is granted power and privilege and a unique connection to God simply by being born into the human family. God's kingdom is ruled by Jesus, who became human, but did so only by giving up his divine privilege and who ultimately gave his life to bridge the divide between heaven and earth. In this way, God's kingdom exposes the false divisions in our human societies. And so we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Set the world right as above, so below. Now, after a week like the one we've just had with headlines of more mass shootings, police brutality, and ongoing war, it is easy to despair that God's kingdom is never going to come into a world like this. But the promise of our faith is that it will. 
And we pray as a way of engaging and entering into that promise. As we've been preparing for today's annual meeting, I've been thinking about all the ways that we as a church, all the ways that you, all the ways that together at FPC Richmond, we pray not just with our words, but with our actions for God to set the world right, to make it look more like God's kingdom. Every time someone tutors a child at Henry Marsh Elementary, or supervises a class change at MLK Middle, or mentors a high school student in the Armstrong Leadership Program. Every time we participate in a risk meeting and support and hold accountable our elected officials in reducing gun violence and creating affordable and healthy housing. Every time we volunteer in any way out in the community. And every time we extend love and compassion to each other. Send a card to someone who is grieving. Take a meal to someone who's sick or recovering. Every time we volunteer to support our children during faith formation or confirmation or youth group. Even every time we attend committee meetings and small groups and Bible studies and J-term classes. Every time we do these things, we are praying. Praying into being God's kingdom God's ways, God's values, God's vision, not just on earth, but here and now. Jesus knows we live as we pray. And when we pray for God's kingdom to come, God's will to be done, we aren't just calling on God to intervene and set the world right. We are offering ourselves to God in service to this radical vision of God's kingdom and God's will. We recommit ourselves to doing whatever we can to set the world right. For every act of compassion and mercy makes a difference. As we pray, we join with God and one another to create a world where all God's children can thrive. Amen.